Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome, welcome, welcome to Life Nation and our Sunday Dialogue. I'm Shante Charles, and I am co-founder, along with Apostle Robert Charles, for Life Nation. I hope that you're having a great and wonderful day, and that your new year is starting off with some good, positive things. We are in our series, Writing the Vision, and this is series part two. And if you have been with us for a couple of weeks now, you know that we are focused in on the year of righteous light and everything that that will entail. We started out this year by talking about resetting. And what were we resetting? We were resetting ourselves as living stones. And some takeaways from our last message is that every believer is called to their personal work, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Every believer is in the priesthood. The priesthood is vast, gender inclusive, ethnicity inclusive, class inclusive, and ability inclusive. God's meeting place is within and not without. And we get a chance to experience God's house when we come together. Living stones are to abstain from practicing evil. And this is a choice and not by force. So we're going to pick up and we're really going to hone in today on that third point, which is that God's meeting place is within and not without. So today we're talking about resetting the structure, our spiritual temple. What does it mean to be the spiritual temple for the divine? What does it mean to be the house of God? Well, we know, first of all, if we look at the um, history of Israel, who we are really focusing on as we read through text, when we look at the history of, his, of Israel, we know that Israel has gone through changes, right? We know that Israel has gone through understanding what it means to be a house for God. We as believers in the New Testament, we know that we are now a spiritual house. But we can look back to the Old Testament and take a look at what was this house all about in the first place? Well, we know the first structure and we're not gonna get into all of the history. I'm just gonna give you a summary. And if you really wanna dig into um, the temples that the children of Israel had, you can go back into the, the Old Testament and study that. But we do know that the first structure that the Israelites had was portable. It was mobile. And it was during their 40 years of wandering and seeking in the wilderness. It was a moving tabernacle, which I find so interesting because now today we are those moving tabernacles. And then after that first structure, they had Solomon's temple, which was set in Jerusalem. Solomon was given all of the materials. He was given lots of help in order to build that temple that would become a physical 
dwelling for the Spirit of God to come into. Then we had the second temple, or Zerubbabel's temple, which would then be enlarged by King Herod. And this would be the temple that most of the believers during the time of Scripture knew about, the second temple. And that temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Now, it is prophesied that there is going to be a third temple that will be used during a period called the Great Tribulation. And that temple, that there would be some desecration of that physical temple and that that too would be destroyed. But one of the most important things we need to know about that temple that is to come is that that temple is really about a representation of the false. It's about the representation of false gods, false idols, and false worship. So though it will be built, the question is, will you be a part of it? Or will you recognize that you are God's holy space and place to dwell? The fourth temple that will be built will be built by and for Christ in the Messianic kingdom or in what the scriptures details to us as the millennial reign. And you can find that in the book of Revelations. Okay, so I just wanted to kind of give you a short summary all of that takes way more than the time we've allotted today to talk about. But if you want to get into the study of those things, I encourage you to do so. So looking at those different structures, there's a couple of things that we can pick out in terms of what were those buildings? What were those temples designed for? Number one, we know that the work of those temples and those structures were supposed to be a place for God to dwell. That's number one. What was the design? What was the purpose for? Initially, a place for God to dwell. The second work of these temples was supposed to be a place for atonement. It was supposed to be a place where people could go and offer a sacrifice to atone for sin. Sins that they committed, sins that the community committed. And thirdly, it was supposed to be a place where the priests would go, the high priests and the priests that serviced the temple. And it was a place to go to practice their faith, to enact their ritual in the service of their faith, and to mainly listen for instructions from God who said that I would be in this place. My presence would be in this place. I would speak to the high priest in the holies of holies. So those were the three main purposes. Again, it was a place for God to dwell, a place to offer atonement, and a place to listen and hear God for instructions. Now, I want you to ask yourself today, if I am the temple of God, if I am a spiritual house for him, have I set aside myself as a place for God to dwell? Have I set aside myself as a place on which I can offer sacrifices to God? Well, what are those sacrifices that we're supposed to be offering? The scripture already tells us that we cannot offer enough blood, right? We cannot offer enough physical sacrifice in order to pay the price for our life because Christ has already done that. But he does tell us that we can offer the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips. 
And have I decided to be a place where God can dwell, where I can hear from the Spirit of God, and where God can give me instructions for my life? Think about that. Let's go to Romans 8. We're going to start there. And we're going to look at some texts where the disciples, now the apostles, are telling us and describing to us what has been offered to us as we are these spiritual temples, these living vessels for God. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start at verse 1. I may skip a couple of verses, but I'll let you know once when I am uh, skipping a verse. Romans 8 verses 1. I'm reading at this moment from the KJV, but I will be switching off uh, to some other translations. First thing we need to know, and I think this is very, very important, especially in the day and time and age in which we live. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So there are some qualifiers there. He says, you don't need to stand condemned. Who doesn't need to stand condemned? Those who are in Christ Jesus and those who are not walking after the flesh or their carnal nature, but after the spirit. Verse two, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What is the law that supersedes the law of sin and death? is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which lets me know that I've got to find out what the life in Christ Jesus looked like in order to understand that law. Verse three, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So sin and its acts have already been condemned in the flesh. It's our responsibility to live a life in the spirit that allows for what has already been condemned in the flesh to not continue on with us spiritually. Verse four, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who do what? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And then he tells us, what is the result? For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. How do I know that I'm a spiritual person? Because I'm minding and focused on the things of the spirit. For lo, or for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Letting us know that it doesn't just hope happen overnight, but that you've got to get your mind involved in the process. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They're not talking about your physical body. They're not saying if you have a physical body, you can't please God. They're talking about the flesh and the works of the flesh, which can be found in Galatians 5. 
but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God does what? Dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Let's drop down to verse 14. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So he's telling us right up front, if we want to have a life of peace, if we want to have a life of righteousness, if we want to have a life that has abundance in it, then we've got to make sure that our mind begins to align with what the Spirit of Christ says. And Christ all throughout the Gospels is giving us example after example through his own walk how we are to live. He does not make it a mystery for us. I know, I know, there are plenty of people that want to mystify the gospel, but it is not mystified. All right, let's go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 4 through 6, and then we're going to jump to verse 12. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. I know that, that scripture can probably hit some people very, very wrong who want to condemn everybody. But the fact of the matter is, he says, even when we were dead in sin, he quickened us together with Christ and it is by his grace that we are saved. Again, no amount of physical exertion we can do in order to pay the price for our sins. It is through grace that we are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places where? In Christ Jesus. Hmm. Aren't you noticing, like I'm noticing that there's a lot of things in Christ Jesus <laughs> that have to be accomplished that can't be done in our flesh? I want us to pay attention to that. Let's move to Ephesians 2, verse 12. That at that time, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's talking about a people who were not a people, but have been made a people through Christ. And outside of Christ, they were aliens from this new life, 
They were aliens from the kingdom of God. They were aliens from the covenants and the promises offered in the covenants. They didn't have hope without God in the world. But what does he say? Here it is again. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made near or nigh by the blood of Christ. You're not made near to God by how good you are. You're made near to God by the blood of Christ, which has been sacrificed for every single one who will receive it. For he is our peace, who have made both one and have broken down the middle wall of partition or the middle wall of separation between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were near. Notice the message of peace came to everybody. It didn't just come to the descendants of Abraham, but it came to everyone who would receive the message of Christ. He didn't come over here and say, I'm offering you all peace, but you all are going to hell. That's not what he did. He came and he offered and he preached peace to those that were afar off and to those that were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, how many spirits do we have access to God through? One. How many? Uno. One spirit. One spirit. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and with the household of God. And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the cornerstone that holds all the other stones together. He is the deciding stone. We don't get to decide what stones are in the house. God does that through his chief cornerstone, Jesus the Christ, in whom all the building fitly, fitly framed together groweth unto a what? A holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are also builded together for what? A habitation of God through the Spirit. It's going to happen through the Spirit. That's where it has to happen. That's where it has to begin. That's where it has to start. So the Holy Spirit had three questions for us today. Three main questions, and we'll come back to these um, after we read the other text for today. The first question the Spirit of God told me to ask today, and that is, can God dwell in you 
Can God dwell in you? You have to make a decision because he's not going to kick the door down to your heart. It's got to be of your own will. Have you made room for the holy and the divine? Can God dwell in you? If you haven't, what's holding you back? What is causing you to say, I'm not quite ready for the holy to dwell in me. I'm not quite ready for the divine to dwell in me. And I think this is a place where you can be honest with God. You can say to him, you know, I'm not ready to give up some of my habits. I'm not ready to give up some of my thoughts that I know that is leading me away from the holy and from the divine. But the question is, can God dwell in you? Can God dwell in me? Can God dwell in you? Question number two, can God reveal you to you? Can God reveal you to you? Have you made room to see where you are in error and where you're missing the mark? Oftentimes we like to look outside our, our, of ourselves and we like to look at what other people are not doing right or what other people are doing wrong. But the question today says, and the spirit asks, can God reveal you to you? Are you willing to allow the holy and divine presence of God on the inside and for that presence to begin to put a searchlight on your soul, a searchlight on your spirit, a searchlight in your mind and illuminate the places where you have wrong thinking where you have wrong action, where you have wrong behavior, where you might be walking in error and missing the mark, because that's what sin is. Sin is to miss the mark of what is God's personal will and best for your life. So can God reveal you to you? Or are you busy projecting onto other people? You know, it's easy. Social media has made it really easy to look at other people's life and pass a judgment. But the question is, can God reveal you to you? Can he tell you what he's passing judgment on in you? And are you willing to adjust? Question number three, can God reveal his plans to you? Have you made room and time to see, to hear, to sense what God is doing in you? What is he doing in your family? What is he doing in your community, in your country, in your county, in your state, in the world at large? Do you have God's heart on the matter? Do you know what your part is and what the part of others is. This comes with allowing the Spirit of God to come in and dwell on the inside of you. When we worship God, we give access to the glory of God to arise from within us and to shine the light in the areas of our heart, in the areas of our soul 
in the areas of our mind that may have been darkened. When we act in an idolatrous way or in a corrupt way, then God becomes silent. His spirit will not reside in those conditions within us. God's consciousness in us becomes dull and we stop having that clear guiding voice and we stop seeing which way to go. Our eyesight becomes dim, thoughts become foggy and cloudy, and we can't sense which way to go. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 3. I'm going to be reading from the Message Bible for a moment. 1 Corinthians 3, starting at verses 12 and reading to verse 20. It says, Let each carpenter who comes on the job take care to build on the foundation. Remember, there is only one foundation, the one already laid, Jesus Christ. Take particular care in picking out your building materials. Eventually, there is going to be an inspection. If you use cheap or inferior materials, you'll be found out. The inspection will be thorough and rigorous. You won't get by with a thing. If your work passes inspection, fine. If it doesn't, your part of the building will be torn out and started over. But you won't be torn out. You'll survive, but just barely. You realize, don't you, that you are the temple of God and God himself is present in you? No one will get by vandalizing God's temple. You can be sure of that. God's temple is sacred and you remember are that temple. Don't fool yourself. Don't think that you can be wise merely by being up to date with the times. Trust and choose God's way. That's the path to true wisdom. What the world calls smart, God calls stupid. It's written in scripture. He exposes the chicanery of the sheik. The master sees through the smoke, green, smoke screens of the know-it-alls. So what is he saying? Be careful how we build. We are the spiritual temples of God. And there will come a time and there will come a day when how we have built ourselves, how we have chosen to build our spiritual life, to build ourselves as God's temple is going to be evaluated. There is going to come a time when everyone is going to have to give an account for their behaviors, for their actions, for their lifestyle. You want to make sure that you're building on the truth. You want to make sure you're building on the way. You want to make sure that you are building on the life. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. Starting at verse 1. 
2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our house from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found unattired. For we that are in this tabernacle, this current vessel, do groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who is also given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. We are always confident knowing that while we are home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Everybody's going to receive. Everybody is going to be told whether or not what we've done in this body aligns with what God required of us in this body. Everybody is going to be evaluated on how they chose to honor their temple before God. No one is going to be standing in that place to hear those words, but you, you and your relationship with the divine and with the holy. That's what you have to be concerned about. So when we encourage you today to think about you being that spiritual house and you being that spiritual temple, again, ask yourself, can God dwell in me? Can God reveal me to me? And can God reveal his plans to me? One last verse of scripture here. 2 Corinthians 6. Starting at verse 1. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he said, I have heard thee in the time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time, and now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. He's going to go on to list some of the things that people endure as they're choosing to walk this life in Christ. He says, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, even in imprisonments, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. 
by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. So he's going through and he's saying, hey, we've had our ups, we've had our downs. We've had good times and we've had bad times. We've had challenges and we've had triumphs. We've had people applaud us and want to receive Christ. And we've had people persecute us and try to throw us in jail. But either way, in all of those things, we are living our life so that we are approved of God. In the end, that is what is going to matter. O ye Corinthians, he says, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. And then he gives a warning, verse 14. He says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what concord have Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, touch not the unclean things, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, 7 verse 1, Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If we have these promises, if we believe these promises, if we stand on these promises, then we will do what is necessary to keep ourselves holy, blameless in Christ, and most importantly, in the love of God. So the question becomes, can God dwell in you? Can God reveal you to you? And can God reveal his plans to you? If we are in Christ and we say that we are the spiritual temples of God, then let's get back to what it says that spiritual temples are called to do. All right. My final thoughts today. As we have just heard, God says, if you're my people, I'm going to dwell in you. I want to live in you. If you're my people, I want to walk in you. I want to be represented in you as my people. I want to encourage you today to steer clear of the things that will defile you. Steer clear of impurities. Be reminded today that you are the holy place of God. You are the tabernacle of God. You are a part 
of a kingdom of fellow citizens. You are a part of the household of God. You belong in the household of God. And you are habitable to God by the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you today, strengthen your foundation. Get back to the things that God spoke to you about what he requires of you. Some of that requirement is evident in the, in the text. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God, love people. Very, very clear in the text. But then as you allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you, God gives us some specific assignments. He gives some of us assignments to our family. He gives some of us assignments to our professional life and our workspaces. He provides and gives assignments to us concerning our community and ways that we're supposed to show forth God's light in those areas. So I encourage you today to hear from the Lord, make it a practice, invite the Holy Spirit in this year to really live in you. Be open to God showing you, you. All right. And then be open to hear God's plans for your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness today. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love, your kindness, and your truth. We thank you, Father, that it is no goodness of our own that you brought us to this place. We thank you, Father, that your grace and your Son, Jesus the Christ, has brought us to a place to be able to receive, to be able to walk in newness of life, to be able to walk in peace and joy, to be able to cast off every weight, every sin that tries to beset us in this mortal body that we're in. Father, we thank you that as long as we are in this body, we know that there is a war for our mind. We know there's a war for our soul and our very well-being. But we thank you, Father, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you've given us the tools. You've given us a helper. You've given us that helper to show us the way, to offer us wisdom and guidance, and to protect us against the things that would be soul killers the things that would be mind numbers, the things that would draw us back into darkness and the things that would try to enslave us and bind us to sin. So Father, I thank you for those that want to hear you, that want you to come live in them, that want you to dwell in them, that want you to turn the light on in their mind and in their heart and in their soul, Father. And I ask, oh God, that if you find anything within us that is not pleasing, that as you reveal it to us, as you bring it up to us, O oh God, that we would cast that care, that we would repent, Father, that we would make a change, that we would turn and, and, and adjust our minds so that we can walk in that which is righteous and that which is true. Father, I thank you for each and every person that will hear this word today, that they will be encouraged to know that you desire to talk to us, that you desire to live in us, that you desire to help us in our everyday life, that we don't have to wait for Sunday to come, but that as you live in us by the Spirit, that your Spirit will begin to speak to us and give us wisdom, give us guidance, give us direction, and show us the way. I thank you for this even now, for it is in your Son Jesus' name that we believe 
and receive. Amen and amen. Listen, I want to thank you for your time and attention today. I hope that you were encouraged with this word. And if you want to participate in giving, all of our giving links are on our pages. Again, thank you so much for your time and attention. And on next week, as the Lord wills, we will be back with part three of Writing the Vision. And we'll be talking about the sound of a spiritual house. What is the sound that God is looking for in us? Be well, everyone, and most importantly, be light.